Warning, Crescent City Crime contains violent and explicit content that is not suitable for a younger audience. Some topics may be disturbing or triggering for sensitive listeners. Listen at your own risk. Thank you for listening to Crescent City Crime. If you wish to further support the show, please make sure to like, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred listening platform. We can also be found on YouTube at Crescent City Crime. You can discuss episodes with other listeners in our private Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit our merch store. All of our social media links, show notes, sources, and more can be found in our blog, nolacrimepodcast.com. That's nola, N-O-L-A, crimepodcast.com. We are now on Patreon. On our Patreon, we feature discussions about movies that revolve around crime and offer exclusive merch. If you would like to hear that extra content from us twice a month and access exclusive merch, subscribe to us at patreon.com slash crime. We would appreciate it if you help spread the word about Crescent City Crime. Tell a friend or aggressively scream our podcast name at your enemies. The music used in this episode is The Black Fingerprint, and it was composed by Dylan Owen. Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And we want to start off, as always, by thanking everybody who has been listening to this podcast. Thank you for coming back again and again, and we hope to have your ears on us for a long time. Yes, we do. We thank you for listening to us. And we do also want to take a moment to acknowledge what is going on this week in Ukraine. It is very, very bad that Russia is doing this. We are not fans of Vladimir Putin on this podcast. We are not apologists for Putin or anything like that. And I, I'm saying this specifically because I um, have noticed that we have international listeners. Yes, uh, it's very, very important uh, for everyone to oppose this, uh, this genuine naked aggression that has no justification whatsoever. This is, this is savage conquest. We feel very strongly that this should not be happening. Yes, there's absolutely no justification uh, behind this. Uh, This, this kind of, this reeks of a of a psychotic, sociopathic, narcissistic madman sitting in front of a copy of Risk. Oh, that's a good analysis. Yeah. And and he is he is taking a huge risk, and it's uh, it, it, the bet his risk is not paying off so far. Well, this week in particular will be a lot to get through with. What's, what is going on over there, and we just want to send our best thoughts, wishes, prayers, and love, everything, every good thing that we can send towards the people of Ukraine. Yes, you're going to have to stay strong, and you're going to have to focus on your tasks, focus on your job, uh, because you're going to have to do your job, do your duty in the face of adversity. And I really do hope that there are more people that can get out. 
that that's what I'm thinking of too is the citizens who have stayed behind who perhaps could not leave or didn't want to leave initially. I hope that more people can get out. Yeah, so hopefully everyone who's uh, who's not able to to endure this type of thing uh, do, does does make it out of the country. With that being said, we are going to get into today's episode, which is also a, I mean, th- this is also a heavy topic. We are talking about somebody who is not a good person. He has committed many, many, many crimes. And spoiler alert, this went beyond state crime and into federal crime territory. This is our first multi-part episode, and this particular case has a lot of moving parts and a lot of people. The, this first episode is mainly meant to be a primer on who Telly Hankton is and the minor characters that aided him in his various criminal activities. And we are going to start with one June morning in 2006, the city of New Orleans woke to the news that five teenagers were shot and killed in an SUV at the corner of Josephine and Daniel Streets in Central City, which is between downtown and the Garden District. This tragedy was dubbed the Central City Massacre. Do you remember that? Yes, I, I do remember it. It was, it was very mysterious with originally nothing to go on, pretty much. Well, you're about to find out more about this. And I will say that this particular crime, that this uh, Central City Massacre crime, when I started doing laying out the groundwork for the podcast, I looked this up specifically. This is what led me down the Telly Hankton rabbit hole. Ah, quite, quite a, quite a, a rabbit hole it is, a, a briar patch. At that time, residents of the city were still recovering from Hurricane Katrina, and that particular neighborhood had sat in the dark for months. It had only been recently that people were starting to return to the Central City neighborhood in an attempt to repair homes and pick up the pieces of their lives. In a place where emotions were already strained, the reaction to the murder sent shockwaves across the city as well as the country when the news made national headlines. New Orleans was already in the national spotlight after the storm, and it was this incident that prompted then-Governor Kathleen Blanco to authorize the National Guard to patrol the streets in conjunction with the New Orleans Police Department. Within a month of the tragedy, a man named Michael Anderson was charged with the, murder, with the murders of Marcus Hunter, his brother Arsenio, Warren Simon, Iram Taylor, and Reggie Dantzler. In 2009, Michael Anderson was put on trial, found guilty, and sentenced to death by an Orleans Parish jury. However, there was just one problem. Michael Anderson did not kill those young men. It would take several years for Michael Anderson to be cleared of the murder charges, and when the full details emerged in the press, it became clear that these murders were just one thread of a large overall web that spun around one of the most notorious criminals to ever walk the streets of the Big Easy, Telly Hankton. The Central City neighborhood is contained within Jackson Avenue, St. Andrew Street, Simon Bolivar Avenue, and Aretha, Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard. It was within this neighborhood where Telly Hankton and several of his relatives lived, worked, and conspired to protect their business. Telly Hankton and his gang would often converge upon an innocent-looking pink house on Josephine Street 
that was owned by Telly's mother, Shirley, and she happily hosted them in her home. Yeah, that's uh, that in the old housing projects, the proverbial bricks. Unfortunately, there were a handful of moms and grandmothers who lived pretty comfortably because of what their children or their grandchildren were doing, the money that they were making. So they just simply overlooked what they were doing and just didn't care. Yes. And I do also want to comment, though, that a lot of times these things that kids are doing, they sometimes feel like they don't really have a choice. They do live in poverty. They don't always get to have, they don't always get to go to bed with a full stomach. It is unfortunate that they're essentially in, that some of these people are enticed into making Easy money. Yeah, easy easy money. Not everybody thinks it through. Like, this reminds me of when I worked at McDonald's on Chef Mentor and and Reed uh, as a teenager in New Orleans East. When there was this minor altercation between a gentleman working the counter and a customer. And the customer berated the employee at the counter for making... Minimum, you know, minimum, make a minimum wage, three thirty-five, something like that. And he told them, "You better learn to sell them rocks." Oh, and, meaning crack rocks, right? And oh. then a couple of other employees had to restrain the the employee working the counter because he was about to jump over the counter and beat and beat the guy up. Oh, because he felt terribly insulted. I, yeah, you see, whereas yeah. some, you know, some people. Are are fortunately more in control, more in control of their lives and, and their emotions and everything, right, and yeah. make a make a conscious choice not to do this, and then get insulted when they're when they're told that this is what you have to do. Right. And unfortunately, not everyone gets exposed to those. In there's a few who slip through the cracks who get exposed to those bad influences, and they feel they have no other choice but to walk down this. Dark path. This dark path. Once you start down the dark path, consume you it will. Yeah. Right. Forever will it dominate your destiny. So, uh, but yeah, that that that's right. It, whereas if you if you're you're breaking society's rules and things are coming to you too far too easy, uh, some something seriously wrong. Well, when you talk about influences, uh, what would you say if I told you that Telly Hankton's Career started when he was a teenager, and this was under the tutelage of his cousin, George. So he was bought into this by a family member. Telly learned the ins and outs of the drug trade. while working, And while working in the trade, George Hankton helped to start the, the record label, Cash Money Records, which we kind of previously discussed in our Magnolia Shorty episode. George Hankton continued his life of crime until he was killed by rival drug dealers named Darnell Stewart and Jesse Reed. In spite of the constant danger, the death of George Hankton did not stop his surviving family members from dealing heavy amounts of drugs, killing rival dealers, intimidating, intimidating witnesses, and obstructing justice over a period of two decades. And when I say drugs, I don't just mean weed. 
this is heroin, cocaine, pills, you know. Yeah, co cocaine, cocaine, inherited, and heroin derivatives, crystal meth, that's the stuff that they, that people get killed over because there's a lot more money in it. Right, yeah, there is. There's a lot more risk that you're taking. So it's more financially rewarding. And <laughs> they work to eliminate the competition. Oh, well, you're not wrong on that one. While the men were out dealing drugs and murdering people, the women laundered money, hid drugs, and backed up the crew providing alibis when necessary. Some of the Hankton crew drove a car into the district attorney's office when it was closed, looking for evidence they could steal to keep Telly Hankton out of trouble. On a Sunday. Oh, that Was it on a Sunday? It took place on a Sunday, and I believe the Saints were playing that day. So Everybody there, was there watching the, the Saints. There were distractions, yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. The names of those who participated in criminal acts for the Hankton crime family are, of course, Telly Hankton. Walter Porter, who was the hitman for the business, Nethany Shexnader, George Jackson, Kevin Jackson, Derek Smothers, Terrell Smothers, Santa Johnson, Thomas Hankton, Nakia, Shirley, Troy, Andre, Hankton. And, you know, most, some of them were family members. We already know that Shirley is Hankton's mother. But there was a lot of cousins, siblings, and whatnot who were also participating in this family cartel. Thomas Hankton was charged by the state with creating lies to keep Telly Hankton and his crew out of trouble. But when Thomas Hankton was jailed for an attempted murder charge, his girlfriend, Nethany Shexnader, took over the task. The woman at the center of the perjury plot was Danielle Hampton, who was, at the time, a manager at the Audubon Zoo. She testified that she was on a date with Telly Hankton when Darnell Stewart was killed. Her story was backed up by Santa Johnson, who testified that Danielle Hampton told her about the date and that they had watched the news about Telly Hankton together and that Danielle had expressed shock at him being charged for murder. Danielle Hampton also said during her testimony that she had just met Telly Hankton the day before they went out on their date. Danielle Hampton later confessed in a written statement that she lied on the stand. In her confession, she stated that Thomas Hankton pressured her into lying and that she feared retribution if she did not lie in court. Now, this uh, this deal about lying in court for friends and family. Don't do it. <clears throat> not only don't do it, but it's not unusual at all. I personally witnessed it in, in criminal court. Uh, during the probable cause hearing, which is first appearance before a magistrate judge, and it, it's 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 hilarious. It always opens up with the defense attorney putting a member of the family or a friend on the stand who says, "Well, I, I'll just give you one example. I won't I won't mention I won't really talk about the case, but and don't name names, right? Uh, but it was this deal to where the guy says, "Well, uh, at that time." I was, I was, he was with me playing pool at Mr. C's uh, billiards, you know, pool hall on, um, uh, you know, in, in New Orleans East, just barely out of Gentilly, close to Diamond Road. Yeah, that place. Anyway, so 
Yeah. So the guy said, and it was obvious he, he was lying. And he got caught, didn't he? Well, he, yeah, he'd already been arrested. He'd already been arrested. You know, his friend right. walked. His friend walked in and lied for him. Well, this right per- this particular instance, Bethany Shex Snyder, Shex Nader, was also on in on the plot since she had spoken to Danielle Hampton to ensure she met with Telly Hankton's attorney. Nethany also paid Santa Johnson to testify falsely at Telly Hankton's murder trial. Nakia Hankton was a drug runner who drove drugs and cash between Texas and New Orleans. George Jackson, Derek, and Terrell Smothers dealt drugs and were enforcers, were enforcers who protected the business. So this is just one example of a witness intimidation and how everybody else covered up for them. Yeah, racketeering. Funny you should bring that up. Telly Hankton's mother, Shirley, was also a a central figure in the crime ring. She hid cocaine from law enforcement and laundered more than $100,000 in drug proceeds to Telly Hankton's attorney. She hosted gang meetings at her home and also let her home be used as a stash house. She helped engineer a false alibi for Telly Hankton during a 2011 murder trial that ended with the jury deadlocked. She lied to the grand jury, and the indictment on this centered around a Cadillac Escalade SUV. The indictment said that Telly Hankton and his associate purchased the Escalade for $50,000, and Shirley Hankton had the title transferred to another family member. It is unclear exactly what, she, what Shirley Hankton lied about, but she was charged with perjury. When the walls were starting to close in upon them, one of the cousins told the drug source that he needed to keep buying cocaine to help finance the legal defense. The attorney fees for Telly and Thomas Hankton ran into the six-figure range, and Shirley Hankton facilitated the payments, and most of it was in cash. The scale and scope of the crimes spread across both the state and federal levels. In the end, almost every person involved with the crime web were charged at the federal level under the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, also known as RICO. And the RICO law was put into place in 1970 because the government was trying to eradicate organized crime. Prior to the RICO Act, prosecutors could only try mob-related crimes individually. A statement released by the United States Attorney's Office reads, quote, During the course of the organization's existence, its members and associates murdered rival drug dealers, intimidated witnesses, attempted to obstruct the state criminal justice system by having associates provide false alibi testimony in state court, and murdered a witness's family member in an effort to obstruct justice. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nine people were charged federally for their parts in the drug empire. They all pled guilty, and in October of 2016, they were sentenced. Of those nine people, Nakia and Thomas Hankton were charged under RICO for conspiracy to distribute controlled substances. This was Nakia's only charge and she was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Thomas Hankton was also charged with assault with a dangerous weapon in aid of racketeering, and his sentence is 45 years long. So you can get into a lot of trouble if you use a weapon when you aid racketeering. 
Yes, and you can also get into a lot of trouble if you're using a weapon while selling, while even just selling uh, illegal drugs, huh. especially especially a firearm. Derek and Terrell Smothers were also charged under RICO for conspiracy to distribute controlled substances. Derek is serving 19 years in prison, and Terrell has a 12-year sentence. George Jackson was the final person to be charged under RICO violation for conspiracy to distribute controlled substances, and he was sentenced to 14 years. No matter the amount of time they have gotten in prison, they also have five years of probation to contend with when they get out. The file, which, uh, which the first uh, the first six months to a year of that would actually be spent in a halfway house. Oh yeah, yeah. And you probably have an ankle monitor after that, right? For as long as a year. Hmm. The following criminals were not charged under RICO, but they were still sentenced in federal court. Troy Hankton was charged with conspiracy to possess firearms and was sentenced to 14 years in prison. Shirley Hankton was sentenced to five years in prison. Both of them will also have three years of probation after they get out of prison. Nethany, Shex Nader, and Santa Johnson pled guilty to misprison of a felony, and Shex Nader was sentenced to three years of probation, and Johnson received one year of probation. The misprison of a felony is essentially having knowledge of uh, a felony committed or ongoing felonies committed and not not reporting them, uh, these felonies, to the authorities, okay? It's typically someone who provides al- alibis and, you know, safe haven. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, but oftentimes um, spouses or mothers, grandmothers, or si- like sisters who get convicted of a um, misprison of a felony, typically plead out to it and uh, ter- turns, essentially uh, help the government turn states at, turn states evidence. Right. So like they become the, the, um, a person who can talk, they get a lesser sentence. So the person at the top gets a heavier sentence. Yes. Like it's not unusual for the, the wife of a husband to, to turn on the husband and, you know, you know, plead out, that's what it's called, plead out to something misprison like of a felony. Yeah. And, uh, you know, get halfway house for a year and then probation. Right. After that. When the judge sentenced them, he saved Shirley Hankton for last. She told the judge, I made very poor decisions as they related to my son, myself, and others all of which I deeply regret. But the U.S. District Judge Martin Feldman was unmoved. (laughs) He gazed at Shirley Hankton and told her, how could a mother of such a gang leader go along with and indeed facilitate such horrors on the streets of New Orleans? A mother, a mother. To do so, you profane every decent notion of humanity and community. The city of New Orleans is plagued throughout with daily atrocities of murder, violence, intimidation, and drugs that ruin lives. The deaths of innocent children and innocent bystanders, and you are directly responsible. You are the cause of such horrors that daily, hourly, 
take place in the city of New Orleans. You're the reason people of all walks of life in the city feel fear just to walk outside of their homes. Very strong words from a judge. Yes, yes. She, there, 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 she regretted getting caught. Yeah. Uh, she knew the full extent of of what he of what they were doing. So that's that was just something the attorney told her to say. You know what else? What else was she to say? She wasn't exactly <laughs> going to come out and say, "I'm not sorry." <laughs> yeah. Or even though the judge had strong words for her. Even though he had strong words for her, Judge Feldman reluctantly agreed to accept a deal for a five-year prison term in exchange for her guilty plea. Shirley Hankton had been in prison since October of 2012 when those involved in the drug ring were arrested. And just so you know, the roundup started late on a Thursday night and Shirley Hankton was arrested when FBI agents showed up at her house at 5.30 a.m. (laughs) <laughs> I guess they wanted to make sure they were home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The feds took away paper bags full of property and towed away her Escalade. In the end, all of the cash and various pieces of property purchased with Hankton drug money totaled up to about $43 million. Wow. And that is the primer. I know I kind of started at the end with, you know, people going to jail, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, this is the least of it. Yes. And now you see all all that totaling up $43 million, uh, Breaking Bad comes to mind. That's about roughly the amount of money that Walter White that Walter White was hiding initially in a storage place and then in those drums in the desert. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you're thinking, well, wow, this is crazy. This is outrageous. This is fantasy. This is real life. But it, it kind of was. Um, you know, some some of these crime some of these small crime families do make a lot of money. Um, you know, do have that much cash on hand it, it, it's insane it's how they it's how they pay their bonds and get right out of jail oftentimes and it's how they they're able to hire the best defense attorneys in southern louisiana well yes that that is very true and you know i guess you you want a saul goodman kind of attorney <laughs> right oh God, you want you I... want a criminal attorney Yes, yes, I've 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 seen that. Um, yeah, they they do take payments in cash, and they don't really care how their clients got it. And they're for they're frequently campaign contributors to judges, along with bail bondsmen. What a great world we live in sometimes. But do you have any final thoughts on this before we wrap up for today? Well, if crime pays, it only pays for a certain amount of time. Um, keep in mind, there's how many of these drug dealers have continued on into this business and on to retirement without going to the jail or the cemetery? Um, well, I can't I, think of any. I'm assuming, and this is only my assumption, and if 
you know, anybody who's listening to this knows more than I do, you can let me know. But my assumption is that the, the people who make the, in most cases, who make the real money, who sit at the very top of the drug food chain, are well insulated. They're the ones who actually retire. Oh, yes. The ones who aren't getting their hands dirty. Right. Yes. Yes. I, so... When I worked, when I worked juvenile at the criminal sheriff's office at the jail, uh, I frequently told some of these kids who were in there for dealing that um, that they're essentially they're doing someone else's jail time. Essentially, they're taking the risks for someone else, and I told them chances are it's uh, it's this multi-millionaire white guy all the way at the top of the chain who you're working for well whether whether you know it or not and you're taking all the punishment you're taking all the risks and you're doing the all the jail time and my final thought is please if if you absolutely can do anything else with your life don't be a drug dealer don't nope. don't risk yourself like that yeah, it always it always ends bad, always. I mean, I for example, and then keep in mind, okay, the Hanktons went to jail. They ended up in jail after this. But think about the drug dealers they murdered, right? Who <laughs> who had the other outcome? Who who were the less not, desirable outcome? Right, and they were not able to retire or live the rest of their lives in jail either. They're dead. Yeah. So most of the people, most of the people whom the Hankins dealt with, who were in the same business, are dead. So the wages of sin are death. Yes. In our next episode for our second part of the Telly Hankton crime empire. We are going to further talk about the chain of violence perpetuated by the Hankton cartel that went on for seven years, as well as the murder that finally put Telly Hankton behind bars for life. And, of course, I want to always tell you to be safe, be kind, and don't park next to vans. And always remember, if it's dark, it's dangerous, and you don't feel safe, don't be there in the first place. And unless you're talking to the police uh, uh, as a witness or a victim, lawyer up. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Good night.